Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and you know, today I'm going to be doing a retro review, and a little different than a lot of the retro reviews I've done. This is totally off the cuff, because it was one of those ideas where, you know, sometimes you get an idea and it's like, you know, I think that would be an interesting topic to cover. So I'm just going to go cover it and no planning, no prior preparation, just fire up the microphone and go. That's what you're getting today. Now I'm recording this just as I got done recording an episode of Gamers Gambit with my cousin Wayne. And as I mentioned before, when I had him on in, uh, an episode of my show of geekery in general, when we were talking about Chrono Trigger versus uh, Final Fantasy VI, which one was the better, you know, RPG? And I mentioned on that that episode that I actually talked about Wayne every now and then before he was actually on the show, except I usually just referred to him as my cousin. You see. I I originally grew up in the town of New Berlin, Wisconsin, and he lived up in Appleton, Wisconsin. So sometimes when we would go up to visit, you know, usually we'd stay at a local hotel. And one of the reasons we would come up to visit, not just because of family, my dad's brother still lived up in the area, but since my dad originally was from this area... He still had some family friends that lived in the area too. So we'd come up to visit Wayne and his parents, or we'd come up to visit uh, some of my dad's old friends from from high school. And, you know, they all had kids uh, within a few years of each other. So it was always a lot of fun, especially when we would go on camping trips. And, you know, one of my fondest memories from camp, of, from youth is there were three, four other families that we were friends with, and we'd go on these big camping trips where we'd go to a local park and uh, we'd, you know, we didn't get like a group site, but we would all try to get campsites that were close together. And, you know, that it was a lot, just a lot of fun. So usually when I went to set up, as I was saying before, usually when I went up to, Appleton, my family stayed in a hotel. Uh, the one that I always remember us staying at was called Guest House Inn. It was a four building uh, complex. Unfortunately, right now, only two of the buildings are still up. And it, I know it was a Baymont Inn for a while. And then it, uh, I think it became a La Quinta. I'm not sure what it is right now. If any of you ever are driving on Highway 41 North and you get to the College Avenue exit, that hotel that you're going to see right off the highway, that's the one I'm referring to. So like I said, a lot of fond memories from that place. But one year <clears throat> when we came up to visit, Instead of staying over, instead of staying at the hotel, I asked if I could go sleep over at Wayne's house. And that's when he introduced me to the NES. Because, 
as I was saying before, you gotta remember at this time, the only video game systems I was used to was the Atari 2600 and the, it was either Intellivision or ColecoVision. So when I first saw Nintendo, I was actually quite impressed with those 8-bit graphics. And I remember we played Super Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda. Uh, I think he also had Castlevania, so we played that as well. And, of course, he had Super Mario Brothers. He also had Duck Hunt. And usually whenever I did come up to visit him for, you know, weekends or sometimes I, I remember there were a couple summers where, you know, I just came up and stayed at his house for, you know, a, a, a week, you know, a few days, like a week or so you know, we would spend a lot of time playing Nintendo. And one of the books I remember that he had was called The Official Nintendo's Player's Guide. It black cover, bold white letters, and then on the side it had some colored tabs. Because back then, Nintendo, they identified the different games they had with a, a little graphic in the corner. There was the Adventure Series, which had uh, looked like a guy swinging over a pit of water. Sports series, which had a tennis racket, a baseball, a golf club, all kind of crossed, uh, crossing each other. Action series, which was an explosion. The light gun series, which had the light gun. The pro program, the programmable series, which had just a picture of a, a NES controller, and that was actually one of the smallest of the game series next to the robot series. Uh, also, there was the educational series, which had a picture of the, you know, graduate hat on it. Uh, so those, those three were all pretty small uh, as far as what titles fell under that category. And then finally there was the arcade series. So this was your port of popular arcade games like Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Pac-Man, uh, Popeye, and then as I mentioned before, there was also the Robot series, which had two games, and I think the educational series only had one, uh, Donkey Kong Junior Math. There may have been another, I'm not sure, but I remember back in the day when, depending on which Nintendo set you got, because they actually had different sets. There was the basic set, which I think just had a, a the the NES, and then a one or two controllers. I think there was a set that had Super Mario Brothers as a pack-in. The set I had was, I think they called it the deluxe set. It had the game system, two controllers, the light gun, and then the combination cartridge of Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. There was also the other version that had the game system, the controllers, the light gun, and then had the robot, Rob. Now, I think that one came with, well, I know that one came with Gyromite. I'm not sure if it, what else it had. I don't know if it had Mario Brothers or Duck Hunt. And then later they released the version that had the, the exercise pad on it. So that one came bundled with Mario, Duck Hunt, and I think it was world-class track meet. But, Again, depending on the version of you got, it came with the official Nintendo Player's Guide, 
a complete review of over 90 games for your NES. I wouldn't necessarily say all of them are full reviews, though. Some of them actually do go quite in-depth. Others, it's just kind of a little blurb. Also, another thing I remember that was kind of cool is the early Nintendos came with a poster. So it would have a screenshot of one of the games, and then it had a little a, a little short description, and there was a check mark. So the intent was that, you know, as you got the games, you could check off the ones you had. And I think I did that with mine. I'm not sure if I marked it up or not. And I think they also did have some versions that didn't have the check marks. It, of course, changed over the years. I, I don't think they continued that practice into the Super Nintendo era. But onto the review of the game series. Now, there's, as I said, the 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 title says or the cover page says in-depth reviews. But as we're gonna see as I review this pro- book, not really true for all of them. So the first game was probably the most iconic and classic game of the NES era next to Super Mario Brothers, and that was The Legend of Zelda. So this one was actually really helpful if you didn't have the instruction manual. It told you the basic plot, how you had to gather the Triforce. It also told you about the different swords. Uh, Also had the different items, told you what they did, and then had the different monsters. So it told you a little bit about them, like Tektite, lives in rocky places it approaches link by jumping and then they also the wizrobe uses magic motion and throws a strong spell at you so also the dark nut its offensive power and defensive power are both very strong don't go don't go in front of it attack from the sides so it gave you a little bit of information about the uh, some of the enemies in there but was was really helpful as they had an overworld map. Now the maps themselves weren't screenshots; they were basically drawings. Uh, some of them were actually quite good. Now the one for the Legend of Zelda was pretty basic, but still it gave you an idea of where everything was, and it told you a lot of the main secrets. Now it didn't go into all of them, and I know they did this in Nintendo Power where they. I think they had like an in-depth map of the second quest where it showed you where all the hidden rooms were because you go in the overworld and sometimes you'd, you know, you'd burn down a tree or place a bomb against the wall. You'd hear the little do-do-do-do-do-do tone and then you'd go in a door. Sometimes it was a merchant. Sometimes it was someone giving you a useful item. Sometimes it was pay me for the door repair. It also had maps of most of the levels. It only went up to level six, though. Uh, and again, these these maps actually were screenshots of the game, so it wasn't just a picture. Uh, and you could tell because you look closely at the map, you see there's you can see Link in each of them as well as whatever enemies were there. So that was actually very helpful for those first few levels. Uh, Next was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. So again, this one gave you the basic controls. Again, very helpful if you got the game secondhand and didn't have the the manual to go with it. 
also gave you uh, uh, some information about the the different characters that you would face. And it did give you some helpful strategies as well. So, again, very helpful because I remember Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! could be one of those really difficult games. Again, really bordering on the NES hard. Uh, they only really give detailed information up to Bald Bowl. And then once it gets to the WVBA World Circuit opponents, then it starts to get um, a little more vague. They don't really give you much information. And then they, of course, have a picture of Mike Tyson in there. Next was Commando. So this one, this was another one of those arcade games that I never really got too much into. I've played the NES version. Not bad. You know, it was pretty close as they could get for the time. And it did have maps of all of the stages. Uh, Of course, Super Mario Brothers, again, next to Zelda, one of the more iconic uh, games in the NES's history. And uh, they actually did go fairly detailed for some of the worlds. Again, just the drawings of the maps. Uh, Only went up to World 4, though. So again, not really in-depth. Same thing with Ghosts and Goblins, where they didn't really have any maps for that particular game. Again, they just told you the enemies, uh, told you the the weapons that you could find and the items. Uh, Didn't really give you too many secrets for the actual game and then just had a few screenshots from each stage and uh, told you a little bit about it again top gun is the next one not really much there uh then again as i recall top gun really wasn't the it's one of those more notorious games because i know the angry video game nerd reviewed it and it was not a game that he highly reviewed uh, double Dribble, uh, let's see, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Now, this one they didn't really give too much information on. Uh, it did give you an overview of the first part of the world map, and then it also gave you uh, maps for the first three palaces, though they call them cathedrals for some reason. Uh, next is Metroid. And this was actually very invaluable because Metroid was one of those games that made you feel like a rat in a maze. And uh, Wayne and I, we were on the Gamer's Gambit we just recorded. Uh, We talked about how that game made you feel like a rat in a maze. And part of the challenge of the NES Metroid is you didn't have a map to reference. So if you were playing that game and you were stuck... This was real extremely helpful because as far as I could tell, it does give you the complete map of the game. Um, and of course, and then it has the uh, it does have some hints where uh, it gives you a pretty good walkthrough of some of the important places you want to go. Which, again, was helpful because since there was only so much they could do with NES games back then, you didn't have people you could just talk to to tell you where you needed to go or give you hints. Rad Racer, uh, just a couple pages on that one. Um, they talk about all six of the courses. Rad Racer is one of those games I personally never got into. Ring King, 
I've played this one and actually wasn't bad. I mean, it was okay. It wasn't the greatest, but uh, one of the things I did like about that game is how you could distribute your stats among your boxer. So you could try to play more offense or defense. Uh, Gradius, again, they do give you the secret Konami code. So they tell you about that. Other than that, it's just a basic overview of the stages and the power-up. Kid Icarus, another, in my opinion, another one of those classic games from the NES era. Uh, Again, they do actually give you a real in-depth review of this one where they do cover um, the stages. Let's see, they do cover the stages up to Huge Raw. I think that's the last one before you get to Sky World. So uh, then as, as I recall, though, the Sky World stages, I think were a little more straightforward. But again, it does give you a nice review because it does tell you a lot of the items and some of the enemies that you fight in the game. Pro Wrestling, another one of my favorite games from this era of the NES Tells you about the different characters, uh, some of the moves. Again, gives you some uh, tips uh, because one of the things I remember uh, is they talk about the brain buster in that game and not to use it at the beginning because if you do, your opponent for some reason reverses it. Castlevania. Again, it gives you a good review of the different items, the weapons, the enemies. Uh, Tells you a little bit about the bosses. The only problem I have with that is they tell you with the Grim Reaper that it's best to position yourself as far away as possible and attack with a boomerang or dagger. Not really. I've actually found with the Grim Reaper, your best bet is to have the the holy water or the firebomb as they call it in here and wait till he gets in the center of the screen on the platform and then just torch him because the... The firebomb is probably the most broken weapon in that game because anytime you hit something with it, it froze in place for a little bit. So you could just sit there whipping him and chucking firebombs at him and he couldn't do anything. So that actually was the best way to to beat him, in my opinion. Uh, so again, they go through the stages here, but they only really give you uh, detailed information up to the end of the mummy stage. And then from there, you're pretty much on your own. Excite Bike, though a sport game, this one was actually considered part of the programmable series. And this is one of the situations where the version we got in the U.S. was not as good as the one they got in Japan. Because, and I remember I had a friend back in when I was a kid who used to have this game. And there was this option, save and load. Well, I don't know why they didn't take it off for the NES version. Because if you go to save or load, it just sits there and you have to reset the game. Uh, because back then with the, I think it was the Famicom disc system, you actually could save your tracks that you created. Um, so the only way you could really save the tracks in the NES version is you just had to write down on a pencil and paper, you know, what uh, what places or what obstacles you put where. Next, Arkanoid. Don't see why they really needed to put this one in there. There's a couple little tricks. Just continue and round select. It does give you tell you what the capsules do. 
uh, Russian Attack. Another one of those games that I actually enjoyed in the arcade, and the NES version was pretty good too. This one, they don't get in-depth. They give you maps for stage one, two, and three, and I think there's like one or two stages beyond that. Um, so again, they also tell you a little couple of secrets in there, also tell you about the different weapons and the different enemies. Donkey Kong, again, I don't know why they call it an in-depth review. Well, and again, there's not really much to that game for the NES in the first place. Rygar, this is one of those games that you, yeah, you needed a, a map for that one. Uh, they tell you a little bit about the the power-ups and that, well, they don't really tell you about the enemies. They just show you pictures of them. Rygar was one of those games that it could be difficult because it was kind of a long game, at least as I remember, and it didn't have a save or a password. So if you got tired of the game, you pretty much had to pause it, turn off your TV, come back later and hope that no one accidentally turned off your NES while you were away. But it does give you a map of the stages and it does even give you the map of the the last castle and does tell you a little bit about the the last boss, uh, Ligger. Which from what I understand... Uh, the uh, the way you would pronounce the hero's name and the last boss's name in Japanese are actually very similar. Because uh, from what I understand in, in Japanese, L and R are actually pronounced very similar to each other. Spy Hunter. Another one of my favorite games for both the NES and the arcade. Uh, they said not really much to review there because it doesn't really have a beginning or an end. So I don't, again... Not really much you can talk talk about with that game. I remember there were always rumors though, because the everyone knew about the boats. Because you know, you play long enough, you can get to the river. But the cover showed a motorcycle as well as a jet plane. So I remember when I was a kid, there was always this rumor that, okay, how long would you have to play before you could become a jet or become a motorcycle. Unfortunately, this is another one of those cases where the cover art lies to you. That's something we had to deal with a lot back then, especially with <laughs> games for the older system like the Atari and the uh, ColecoVision and Intellivision. Next, Goonies 2. Now, this is another one of those helpful sections because... That game is very similar to Metroid in that you're like a rat in a maze. Uh, there is a mapping system in that game, but you have to be careful because, well, there was a front section of the hideout and a back section of it. And not only that, there were also 3D mazes. Well, not true 3D mazes, but you get what I mean. Uh it switches to a semi first person view where you see Mikey from behind the, you know, behind him. And uh, this is one of those games where it took a lot of trial and error because when you were in these, well, for let's just call them first person sections for lack of a better term, you had a menu of options. And sometimes to progress, you had to either hit uh, a section with your fist or later with the hammer. 
So this is another one of those games where having that review was extremely useful, and they actually do give you the complete walkthrough of that. Akari Warriors, again, just a a simple but fairly entertaining game. I don't know if it necessarily translated as well from the arcade, because in the arcade it had the special joysticks where you could... It had like a dial on the top, so you could turn and face one direction while moving in another. But it tells you again about the different uh, vehicles as well as how much or the different enemies and how many points you get for defeating them. Uh, Gives you the maps as well and also gives you a handy guide where it tells you where some of the hidden items are as well as the continue code. Next, Kung Fu. So... Again, this one, they don't have any maps. They just tell you about the different bosses and enemies. Uh, Also, one of the famous secrets in that game is it's like the 12th enemy in the level. If it's uh, not a a knife thrower or a tom-tom, if you defeat him with a jump kick, you get an extra 5,000 points. So those were the quote-unquote in-depth reviews. Like I said, not all of them necessarily deserve being called in-depth. And then at the end, they had the, oh, they called it the game guide. And uh, this one, uh, what it, it was just a little blurb, a couple of paragraphs about um, the games that were, at least a lot of the major games that were available for the the system at that time. So again, they go into the, uh, the like winter games, muscle, uh, the stadium events game. Yeah. That's the one that uh, actually, yeah. Cause that one was one of those games that had an interesting history. I think it was originally released by a third party and it was called stadium events, but then Nintendo took over the license to the game and they re-released it as world-class track meet. But Yeah, and the last part, not really a lot of useful information about the game itself. Again, just a very, very brief, uh, just just a couple paragraph description of the game and kind of get you interested in it. And that is my quick, off-the-cuff, impromptu review of the official Nintendo Player's Guide. So, I'm sure that it's not really completely necessary nowadays because, of course, you got walkthroughs and you can always go to a strategy site. But back then, back in the day, something like this was actually extremely helpful. Again, especially for those games like Metroid and Goonies 2 where you needed a map to find your way around. Otherwise, you can get hopelessly lost. Not sure how much they cost on the secondary market. I got mine in a used video game store for, I think it was like 15 bucks, but it wasn't exactly in the greatest condition. I admit I got it purely for nostalgic purposes, and that's perhaps one of the best reasons to get it. Uh, It is kind of fun to page through it every now and then and just get that little nostalgia rush, and it brings back memories of the times that I was hanging out with Wayne playing, again, Zelda or Castlevania or Super Mario. Well, that's all I have to say about this topic for now. Again, I do apologize that this was an off-the-cuff, 
not a very well edited episode. I just wanted to get this episode out um, before the, because I have a, I'm going to be a bit busier near the end of the week, so I'm not going to have as much time to really do a an in depth researched and uh, edited uh, episode for this week. But with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon. Whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. Hey, this is Nick and Alex, and we're here to tell you a little bit more about Dungeon Junkies. Now, we're a podcast that's based in Austin, Texas, and we are hell-bent on making you laugh. Absolutely. We have some fantastic storytelling uh, with some badass characters and even better music, as well as a ton of jokes to make you laugh. So join Fenworth, Taryn, and Dr. Euphoria, and our sexy DM, Kenny, on a quest to save the world or destroy it. I guess whichever one comes first. (laughs) And you can also check out our Real Talk episodes where we get meta inside our campaign and really figure out the depths of our characters and also the story. So check us out on www.dungeonjunkies.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dungeon Junkies. Because not all adventurers are meant to be heroes. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.